1: Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard Leduc. Hello, Garrett. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. (laughs) That's wonderful, Tony. So I
0: think that uh, we've got we've got a gajillion uh, emails. We're gonna
1: we've received so many emails. We apologize to everyone who's emailed us. We probably haven't responded, although we have read them all. We've read them all. But we are drowning. We we are. We appreciate we as the
0: um, as the podcast grows to fill all of from Spanish Fork all the way up to parts of Logan and Albania. We
1: are. <laughs> I mean, I like to think that we are at least part of the reason why Spanish Fork is now a mission. For the church, it's true. It, it's become a
0: new mission. Spanish Forks mission, Nampa, Idaho, is yeah, a mission. Isn't that interesting?
1: Interesting that our two. Well, that's your your homeland. There won't ever be a Shelley, Idaho, mission.
0: No, and Nampa was a mission almost a decade before uh, we started recording.
1: But maybe Calvinist God <laughs> knew that we were going to record. This is true.
0: This is true. It's been a. It's been a great year. We're we're going to get into. um So now, as, as people. There's a very popular podcast, many popular podcasts. That uh, are
1: you referencing ours?
0: I am not. Uh, Follow him uh, is a very popular podcast. People are listening to as they prepare each week for Come Follow Me, and I believe this particular week we're we're really into the uh, into the Book of Mormon. we uh, I think it's First Nephi, like six through ten or something like that. Um, we're gonna do the the eight witnesses, the and three. The, well, eight
1: witnesses. the inter- introductory
0: Yeah, so people are well past that, and we're going back. So
1: here's what we figure: uh, any anybody n- could just yeah. No one's doing their no one's doing their come follow me curriculum when they're supposed to. Sure. They're going to church first, having a conversation with it about it with Bill, the adulterer, who's still coming to church. Good for him. Good, you good know for what? Bill. Bill, thank you for you coming. Know, hospitals for the sick, Garrett. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, And then they're going back home and kind of restudying it and getting further behind. I feel like that's what's going on. I I think the main reason that people listen to
0: podcasts is to, number one, be able to seem smarter in gospel doctrine, and number two for their own- that's the
1: number one reason why they listen? Well, number
0: two is for their spiritual edification. It's a distant second. So
1: no one listens to our podcast for the first one then. (laughs) because <laughs> they how would they seem smarter that's the problem we're missing that
0: whole group of people uh, our, our our listeners are our procrastinating group that uh, is just getting to probably the book of John in New Testament come
1: follow me speaking of which though we did receive a, a text message from our uh, uh, one of the former members of our, uh, uh, our our tour that we went on last year Um she was requesting that her her missionary son. Well, actually, her her son sent us the email. She well, didn't request. I, I have I
0: have the email. Oh, as oh well. let's read his email. Let's read the email and then read the, the text. I'm currently serving a mission in the Ivory Coast, and I'm loving uh, every day of it. A little after I left on my mission, my mom went to went on your church history tour. Church history tour. Yeah, that's,
1: It seems like you're struggling. <laughs> <laughs> like I know you always church? struggle, but you're struggling with the word <laughs> church. The Chitch history tour. Uh,
0: Went on a church history tour. It's been very cold. Just walking into your house, my mouth froze um, uh, and loved it. She loved it. You know, what a great opportunity, by the way, just to mention we've got a tour coming up in uh, just a couple of months uh, where we're going to be going to some of the same sites that uh, that this Ivory Coast missionary's mother went and Mm -hmm. loved it. Since then, my family has loved listening to the podcast. Recently, when talking to them, they mentioned that missionaries get premium podcasts through their missionary email. If this is if this offer is still available, I'd be very interested in listening to your podcast. Well, Elder, we uh, we I just sent that uh, access over to you. My wife has been complaining about how she has to pay for the access to the. I premium. also have to pay. It's true. Um, I I've chosen not to pay. Um, well, you
1: are the one who controls the content, so you don't have to. It's
0: true. But so uh, you know, for Becky, my wife, who wants to listen to it for free, all you have to do is serve a mission. Um, I don't know where your commitment's at, but if you wanted it so bad, why don't you serve a mission?
1: Well, so I uh, messaged uh, this this elder's mother, and said, "Hey, your your son uh, wants to sign up for the premium content." Um, her response was, yes, my husband's been listening to the podcast too, but I'm very close to banning him from it. It's like living with my own personal dream crusher. Whenever I throw out my own theological views, he's like, well, Garrett said dot, dot, dot. So that's, that's the Standard of Truth podcast sowing marital strife <laughs> for the past four years.
0: That's true. So, Getting into the Phoebe Draper mailbag, we have received an email here from Ren. I have been listening to you guys for several years now and enjoy it. I work in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska. Wow. And live up. Wow. (sighs) So.
1: First of all, we have a listener in Prudhoe Bay. We're we're huge in Prudhoe Bay. Yeah, we're we're one of the top thousand podcasts in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, by the very fact that you've downloaded it. One hundred percent. So Prudhoe Bay,
0: by the way, it's a bit of a haul. Uh, it's I yeah. think an eighteen hour drive to Anchorage. It's like if you lived Anchorage. in
1: Canada and were like, I need it somewhere colder. <laughs> um, if I off- you live in Yellowknife and you were like, this is way too warm for me.
0: Yeah. That's right. If you wear yeah, uh, Hawaiian shirts and shorts out in, in November and December, move to Prudhoe Bay. Uh, that being said, I don't get to a- attend church while up here. So, first of all, Ren, that, that is actually tough. It's you're sad. there, you're working, uh, it's, the, the conditions are, are pretty brutal, I would imagine. But we've done some checking. We went to LDS
1: um, uh, building locator. Because one of the services we like to provide people is how they can go to church. (laughs) That's true.
0: In Prudhoe Bay. So there is a YSA branch that's only 49 hours away by bicycle ride. So, Ren, I don't know your age. I don't know if you're interested in uh, perhaps uh, dating. If you're married, I do apologize. Um, But uh, 49-hour bike ride. Um, twelve-hour uh, drive. If you, yeah. if you, if it's snow not
1: s- snowbound.
0: So, um, just wanted to throw that out there. I mean, uh, in the winter, I am not able to walk the two and a half minutes to my church building. So I kind of feel what you're feeling, and I have to, but I have to get in the car and I have to drive there.
1: I think what we're saying, Ren, is we need you to. We just need you to recommit, <laughs> uh, Ren. You gotta want it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you could maybe purchase a boat. <laughs> and 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 motor or sail over to to Point Barrow, we have there's a
0: branch. there is a branch there. we We don't know actually how far it is to get there. We assume it's frozen over and you can't actually. but then
1: you can walk on the frozen water. This
0: is true anyway that we're we're getting we're just
1: trying to solve we we bring people' solutions since since he's unable to attend yours.
0: I often listen to you guys as part of my Sunday. Um well, you know what? then, you know, yeah. Go ahead and skip yeah, Never mind. As yeah. long as
1: you're downloading.
0: <laughs> Having said that, while on my mission, I was given a blessing by my mission president. Part of the blessing, I was told to study the life of Joseph Smith. Where could I find information on his life that, could, that I could listen while driving for work? Any information would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, Wren.
1: Well, so that's a great question. Uh, kind of a question we get all the time. I mean- one of the problems with convincing your listeners that uh, sources matter and that you need to vet the sources of of anything you're reading or studying is that they then ask, "Well, what's good?" And that <laughs> so that's like the follow up question that we're not prepared for. Hey, so like, what if like I really like wanted to like enjoy what I was listening to? Uh, just you know, don't. Uh, I mean, look, I, the best way to learn about Joseph Smith's life. Honestly, the the, the I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Anyone listening to this podcast can become their own regional expert in the life of the Prophet Joseph Smith. All it would take is reading the Joseph Smith Papers volumes. Now, that is a Herculean effort. Like, but when when someone asks the question, "How can I become an expert on Joseph Smith?" Now, now he didn't. Ren's just like you know, I want to learn more. But I get asked all the time, how can I become an expert? Well, you, you've heard the 10,000 hours, right? I mean, the, the reality is all the research has already been done. If you were to sit down with, say, the document series of the Joseph Smith papers and go through and read every Joseph Smith document and every introduction and every footnote, by the time you are done, you will know more about Joseph Smith than literally anyone you'll ever meet for the rest of your life. I'm assuming that, you know. Unless you come on the tour. But even, you might know more than me at that point. It's Maybe true. I'll be like, you know what? That must have been from uh, volume uh, 13. I I didn't get as much into that one, you know. But, um, so look. That's not very good uh, listening to on on Audible, right? I mean, it's a re- reference book. And so, you wouldn't get the same effect out of it. One uh, One good place to start is listening to the saints volumes that the church has put out, which you can listen to on the gospel library app. Again, that would still be better read than listened to. And in fact, most history books are better read than listened to because that way you can examine the sources behind each of the claims that are being made by the historian. But, um, that's, those are pretty lengthy and that would fill an enormous amount of your time. Uh, you know, I could recommend to you, uh, my book on, um, the translation of the Book of Mormon from Darkness unto Light, which is on the Deseret bookshelf, but you know it's kind of like their own, their own little Audible. Also,
0: highly recommend the premium content that uh, we make available here uh, at the Standard of Truth. And if you say, "Hey, well, I don't want to pay," that's a ridiculous sum of money. Uh, you can either a go on a mission, or b we have a trial now, at least on the Apple side of things, where you can you can trial it for a week. Hopefully, forget about it and then pay us uh, for a year's worth of content.
1: Yeah, that—that's our business model. We need people to forget that they've signed up. Uh, anyway, so thanks for the the inquiry, Ren. I know a lot of people ask that. I mean, there's there really isn't a way to magically become a, an expert, um, but I love the fact that you're trying to follow on the prompting of your patriarchal blessing and mission president blessing. Sorry mission president he blessing. may
0: also have you know been what? a patriarch we're
1: going to need another email talking about the patriarchal blessing
0: <laughs> we'd like just a copy of your patriarchal blessing please.
1: in fact send it to us <laughs> and we can provide greater interpretations but yeah the, the the there are things that are that are available um the fewer there are fewer of them that are available and readily accessible via audiobook because it the history format for audiobook is just not as good.
0: But I, so I, I love Saints. I love just the the great kind of narration of the whole thing. It's 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 written very well for a person like myself that isn't an expert in history and is very enjoyable. So, um, so that's great, Garrett. All right, we have another email here from Preston. I just wanted to write and thank you for your podcast. I don't have any witty comments, but I've been listening for over a year. I currently live in Scottsboro, Alabama. Well, roll tide, and we're sorry for the loss of your, mm. of your coach. We think that uh, what's going to happen with the Washington coach is he will essentially flame out in about three years. They're not going to give him three years. He, he will. If he doesn't on.
1: win a national championship in two years, he's well, going to be fired. If he doesn't go to well, the so playoffs the next year, well, he's fired. Well,
0: the the expansion of the playoffs to twelve teams actually okay, that, that hurts. benefits him. Well, no, it hurts because now it's like, well, anyone can make like the playoffs except for all the teams that I I root for. But
1: yeah, like BYU's not making the playoffs. No, no,
0: not next year or but ever. <laughs> well, you know, maybe we'll we'll get we'll... lightning in a bottle. We'll get if a Andy
1: Reid we'll get... leaves Pukenicua Kansas City, back. yeah, Bukka <laughs> He used all his eligibility, I think. Uh, well, we'll see. He could petition for a COVID year.
0: But I don't know where Scottsboro is. It could be, you know, War Eagle. It could be closer to Auburn. I don't, I don't
1: know. But either way, yeah. at Auburn or at Alabama, your coach is getting fired <laughs> if they don't go to the playoffs this year. 100%. Ask Gus Malzahn how that worked out for him.
0: So you have at least one listener in Alabama. I served uh, as a missionary in 1996, 1997 in Scotland, Edinburgh mission. That, first of all, that is a beautiful area, uh, tough mission, but beautiful, beautiful. I love listening to your comments as it reminds me of my own missionary experiences. In one of my first areas, someone left the Truman Madsen talks on Joseph Smith. I listened to those almost every day for the rest of my mission. Don't feel jealous that I got to go foreign with an English speaking mission it either rained or snowed almost every day. Anyway, my son is serving in the Newport Beach, California Mission, almost the exact opposite of uh, yeah, Edinburgh, yeah. by the way. Where it's beautiful. Yeah, that's right. I would love it if you can share your podcast with him. I I, I did. Uh, I sent it over to your son. Thanks for the work you put in the podcast. I look forward to each Thursday. Thank so you
1: so much. It's an interesting way how the, how the Wheel of Time continues to roll on. I mean, because if – you were trying to serve a mission in Scotland you know 300 years ago the biggest problem would be that every single person you met would be so incredibly calvinist that they would they would utterly reject anything you had to say now they reject you for completely different reasons yeah just because they don't care about religion and and you're a, you're a yank uh, i mean there there the reality is how quickly that shifted i mean give you an idea in 1828 it was the primarily led by presbyterians in in scotland um where presbyterianism is founded um that the british and foreign bible society was essentially forced to stop printing the Apocrypha (laughs) in the King James Bible. So the King James Bible from the 1600s, from the time it was published up until 1828, always had the Apocrypha in it, just like the Catholic Bible has the Apocrypha in it. Well, it was the Presbyterians of Scotland who were so adamant that this is not actually part of the Hebrew Bible. This is a bunch of Catholic interloping That they essentially boycotted the British and Foreign Bible Society to the point where the British and Foreign Bible Society said, well, we can't do this. And they just gave up and they stopped printing Bibles with the Apocrypha in it. So if if Scotland were to boycott
0: the printing of Bibles now, that would be the – essentially like seven or eight Bibles that wouldn't be going? I feel
1: like if Scotland were to boycott the printing of Bibles now, it would be because of uh, green initiatives. Like we can't – we can't have pages de- of trees yep. devoted. But, to this. Um, But um,
0: my my point is that if they boycotted, then there would be eight less yeah. Bibles that they. would Yeah, have to there print.
1: would not be a whole lot uh, of impact. It is it's it's fascinating. One could make the argument, and maybe you need to listen to our premium content to you know kind of see some of our discussion of this. But one could make the argument that Calvinism and Calvinistic uh, theology is 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 very powerful up front but for a variety of reasons ends up kind of being a flash in the pan. I mean, it it's you know, a flash I, in the 300 year pan. Well, I mean, for for Christianity's sake, yeah. I, yeah. Guess, yeah, I mean, I mean the fact I'm not saying that it goes away, but the fact that it's look at the at the inability of it to maintain its devoted followers and there can be all kinds of reasons to discuss that look there's all kinds of hardcore calvinists in the world today but it's a pretty it's a pretty epic collapse of religiosity all over europe and okay if i were a if i were a calvinist in scotland in 1800 and you said to me well, you know what by by 2023 there'll be fewer than 6% of the population of france that attends mass on a weekly basis and I would say, yeah, because there are a bunch of Catholics who are you know, you know, following the Antichrist. I mean, if you were a hardcore Calvinist back then. But if you were to suggest a similar lack of church attendance in Scotland, they would say absolutely no. So they would point to Catholicism as being the reason why people don't attend church. The reality is all over Europe, church attendance is through the floor to the point where in most places it's far below 10% on on a weekly basis. Um, the back to uh, you know the uh, discussion with the your your son, it is a pretty awesome thing that having you know served a mission you get to go watch your son go, I haven't had that experience yet, but Richard's had it twice.
0: It's pretty fantastic. I just talked with him today. Uh, my son, Garrett and I were, were joking, so my son gets home. Uh, to attend the BYU, uh, I think. <laughs> so he gets home the Thursday of the first week, and I said, "Well, so if you if you get home, if your flight's early enough, we should be able to catch your afternoon classes." And That's we, hilarious. We we joked at how funny it would be that I'd have to I'd have to join him at his classes because he wouldn't yet be released. To be the most <laughs> BYU thing ever that
1: I've got. To. I could see the professor now asking, <laughs> uh, sir, why why are you here? I'm his companion. He doesn't get released until <laughs> later tonight." would be great. I guarantee it won't have been the only time that's happened. Uh,
0: by the way, just a, a quick look by our, by our crack research staff. Um no religious affiliation in Scotland is
1: 48%. Interesting. That is. Well, like I said, so to, to show you how quickly that that, that movement happens. Maple. Now I talked about this in the United States as well, right? In Joseph Smith's time, Vermont was the most religious state in the United States. It's now the least religious state in the United States. So religiosity certainly tends to move and change over time. At the same time, my response to that might also be Vermont was highly Calvinist. It was almost exclusively Calvinist in Joseph Smith's time, and now is not as religious.
0: Church of Scotland, 20%. Roman Catholic, 12%. Other Christian, 11%. Other religion, 4%. Muslim, 2%. Prefer not to say, 3%. I'll
1: bet the prefer not to say are super religious.
0: Yeah, yeah. Super duper religious. (laughs) That's why they won't tell
1: people. (laughs) I'm like, all I do is, I I mean, the the reality is we see uh, a collapse of religiosity in the Western world. Certainly, it's still there culturally, but um, it, it is something that's uh, you know it it's something that could not have been foreseen when Joseph Smith is first talking to the angel or in the first vision.
0: So you're talking about over the course of a couple hundred years, but I know just even in the in my mission that this there was there was an element of this where um, a person has a very religious and spiritual experience event. Uh, Harvest Christian Church was this huge; they'd have these huge events. Where they bring in tens of thousands of people, and and people would feel moved by the spirit, right? And then it, you know, they just would kind of just drift into just complacency as it relates to their their general sense of uh, religious participation. I mean, it happened. I mean, happening over time, but I mean, we would see it happen just with individuals.
1: Well, and I I think that's one of the one of the real difficulties surrounding. The fundamental nature of Protestant, uh, the Protestant argument, right? The fundamental nature of Protestantism is that salvation comes by faith alone. Salvation alone, salvation is by faith alone and grace alone. And that's it. And truth about God is found in the Bible alone. So while I might go to church so that I can learn more about the Bible, because that's how I learn about God, it's not essential for me to go to church. One might say, well, did the thief on the cross go to church? Obviously not. Although Jesus was giving kind of a Sunday school lesson up there. But I mean, the, the, the reality is fundamentally at its core, because there are no ordinances, because there is no works that matter, it becomes a pretty tough sell over the centuries that even though going to church has no bearing whatsoever on your salvation, even though any of the ordinances, whether it's the Lord's Supper or baptism, has no bearing whatsoever on your salvation, that I'm still just going to go because. Now, there are, of course, millions of Christians who do. But how do you account for the fact of the hundreds of millions of Christians who now don't? Secularization, obviously, is a big part of that. But again, if you were to ask, a Christian in Joseph Smith's time, if you were to ask a Christian in eighteen in 1829 18, or 1820, do you think Christianity is going to get to a point where most people don't go to church? They would make fun of you. The primary problem for Christianity in Joseph Smith's America was twofold. They could not train and ordain ministers fast enough and they could not build church meeting houses fast enough. Those are the two problems. It would be like going to to someone today and telling them uh, in 10 years, uh, Amazon won't exist. They would be like, uh-huh, like literally everything in my house I've purchased from Amazon, like even my children. <laughs> everything, everything I own comes from Amazon. There's no possible way that that could be the case. That's how shocked someone would be. If you were to, if you were to tell someone today cars won't exist. I'm not talking about combustion engines. I mean any cars, even the electric ones, even Richard's precious electric car. That <laughs> if you were to tell them, you know what, in 30 years there won't even be cars, no one would believe you. They would say, Yeah, we'll have more energy efficient cars. Well, they wouldn't say cars won't exist, right? This is what it would be like to try to convince a Christian during the second great awakening, that Christianity, 200 years later, would be on life support, essentially, would be at the very tail end, the death knell of what was going on.
0: I can give you an example from business. One of my favorite books is The Innovator's Dilemma from Clayton Christensen, a, uh, a recently passed away, but a very prominent uh, business PhD professor out of uh, Harvard. It's this idea of kind of the pace of progress precedes the market awareness of the, of the need. And so the example,
1: all of our listeners just stopped listening. Well, <laughs> So, so uh, the example, Ren, I know you're looking for anything <laughs> to listen to in Prudhoe Bay, please come back to us.
0: Well, so the example, the, one, an example from modern day is, is Netflix and Blockbuster, right? So w- what happens is that that this idea of saved by grace, and I'm, I'm talking about blockbuster now, no longer about. So, is a
1: blockbuster <laughs> is saved by grace?
0: Well, th- they better hope that they were. So, to th- in, so the idea of being saved by grace creates in folks a sense of uh, an apathy, right? And so you say, well, well, then maybe you were never saved by grace at all, if you you know are having those particular feelings, but. Um, for Blockbuster, they had the opportunity in, I think, September of 2000 to purchase Netflix for $50 million.
1: And they're like, why would we do that? We <laughs> own the rental oh, they, business. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah.
0: They laughed them out. 14 years later, they're closing all their corporate stores, right? Um, and so you you have a circumstance where in this, this innovator's dilemma where a certain company is going along, going along, going along, doing things that are in their interest that make sense. And you have these new things that bubble up that then create this particular conflict and then completely wipe this thing out. And and Calvinism, to that extent, creates that issue. And so then what happens is when you have people that are disconnected from the, the church, that aren't Meeting together oft to fast and to bray and to speak to one bray? with another. Are to they, bray. Are they To dogies? fast and to eat brie and to bray uh, and to speak. Eat all. Yeah, right. About the welfare of their souls. If that's, not, if that's not happening, then secularism and just general apathy toward religion right. in general creeps in. Can,
1: can you create a religious movement in which fundamentally church attendance is not essential? Even though it might be good and good for the soul, and you do it because Jesus wants you to, da, 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 da. it's actually the antithesis of all other religion that's ever existed. All other religion, all over the world, throughout the dawn of time, I mean, not back to Adam, I mean, after like there was some apostasy and stuff, like, you know, a- after Noah, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> the-, the-, the reality is. The entire the, – religion was all about the ordinances, if you want to call them that, that you performed. I mean, the, the whole point of religion in the ancient world was that you did things. That was the only thing that mattered, was not what you thought about Zeus. It was, did you kill a goat for Zeus? And if you killed a goat for <laughs> Zeus, we're golden. It doesn't matter. You could hate Zeus. You could be sitting there all day like, that Zeus – he throws one more lightning near my cattle. I swear I'm going to go to Mount Olympus and I'm going to give him the what for. You could hate Zeus. And Zeus could know that you hate him. All that mattered was that you sacrificed to him. That That's what religion was. Now, of course, Christianity changes this because Jesus is teaching that the blessings that you receive from following Jesus, the Lord, from fallen God, are delayed blessings. It's not you worship God and therefore it rains. In fact, Jesus very famously says that God causes the rain to fall upon the wicked as well as the righteous, right? That sounds pretty normal to us today. That would be ridiculously radical to someone in the ancient world. What do you mean? The entire reason why I'm sacrificing the goat is so it will rain on my crops, and Jesus says, "You know, your father causes the rain to fall on the wicked and the righteous." That that what you did was not the determining factor. This goes all the way back to our discussion about the gospel of wealth, um, and so Jesus is radical in the sense that he's saying you're still going to do right things, but your reward for those right things. Will be in the next life, not in this life. But right, things still mattered. Right, you still you still needed to get baptized. He's still telling people to get baptized. And the early Christian church, how you acted, was certainly very, very, very essential.
0: This is part of the reason I think why um, Methodism and and the Baptist Church is still very uh, very much alive and active. There's a there's more elements of that in that than there is certainly in in Presbyterianism.
1: Well, at least of today. Now, look, Presbyterianism of the 1700s was as exacting a religion as there could possibly be. You could be thrown out of your town if you weren't living the gospel the right way. But the fundamental underlying theme that how you that, – that that because it's by faith alone, because it's by grace alone, the church – attendance in it, the good works that you do, they are all essentially window dressing. They aren't essential. And when you have someone who's fully converted, when you have someone who is absolute, died in the wool believer in Jesus, yeah, you better believe they're going to go to that church even though they don't have to. But what happens when you have someone who isn't? Or to ask a better way for many of our listeners, how many of your teenagers— would be fully active in going to church if you never told them they needed to go to church. Never once. You never once said, okay, hey, it's time to go. If you legitimately never even addressed the topic of them going to church with them, how many of them would still be going? Now, look, I know that some of you are going to email in and say, well, my daughter would. I know. Look, I know. I know I have a friend, one of my good friends from working on the Joseph Smith Papers. He uh, was a convert to the church, Um, and, And when he was 19 and he didn't, his parents both were atheists. His, his dad was in and out of prison seven or eight times while he was in, in grade school and in high school. And he just felt this call towards religion himself. Right? So I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but the reality is many people listening. If you were to just not say, Anything about going to church this weekend to your to your your teenagers? They would regress back to the mean. I'm guessing, right? So, so when someone's fully converted already, of course they're going to church. But if they're not fully converted, well, well, what's the reason that they go? Well, for Latter Day Saints, you go for other reasons, for other ordinances, right? We're, we're building towards trying to go to the temple and get married in the temple. That doesn't exist. In Protestant Christianity, because there aren't any other essential ordinances. In fact, there aren't any essential ordinances. So, I don't know why we got off on that Calvinistic tangent, but I know that everyone loves it. <laughs> no, it's good. It actually. Josh leads... is going to be saying, "I can't get away from this on the premium." Now I can't get away from it.
0: It's a it's a perfect transition into the uh, three and eight witnesses, Garrett. What what better way?
1: Well, so let's let, before we get to three and eight witnesses, let's talk about the title page of the Book of Mormon because we had some people ask about that. Mm. Um, the title page of the Book of Mormon um, is is something that I think many people are aware of because Joseph talks about in his history um, how it comes about, but we'll just kind of go over it now. Um, the Book of Mormon's title page is such that some people thought that this was just what Joseph had written, right? The Book of Mormon, an account written by the hand of Mormon upon the plates taken from the plates of Nephi. Uh, Wherefore, it's an abridgment of the record of the people of Nephi and also the Lamanites, written to the Lamanites, which are a remnant of the house of Israel, and also to a to Jew and Gentile, written by way of commandment, and also by the spirit of prophecy and revelation, written and sealed up and hid up unto the Lord, that they may not be destroyed. They, sorry, that they might not be destroyed to come forth by the gift and power of God. That phraseology by the gift and power of God, by the way, is the primary way that Joseph is going to talk about the translation of the book of Mormon. He will say by the gift and power of God, I translated the book of Mormon. It's the primary way he's going to describe it. And the way he's going to describe it, I I think it comes from the title page. Um, Uh, "...by the gift and power of God, unto the interpretation thereof, sealed by the hand of Moroni, and hid up unto the Lord, to come forth in due time by the way of Gentile. The interpretation thereof, by the gift of God, an abridgment taken from the book of Ether. Also, which is a record of the people of Jared, which were scattered at the time of the Lord, confounded the language of the people when they were building a tower to get to heaven." which is to shew unto the remnant of the house of Israel how great things the Lord has done for their fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. And also the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. And now, if there be fault, it be the mistake of men." Therefore, condemn not the things of God, that you may not be found that, that you may be found spotless at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the um, the interesting part of of well, there's a lot of interesting parts about that, um, but Joseph's actually going to give us a commentary on that um, later on um, uh, when they're working on Joseph Smith uh, history he's going uh, to explain to listeners where that title page actually comes from. He's going to say that uh, while they're giving their history, in the meantime, our translation drawing to a close, we went to Palmyra, Wayne County, New York, and secured the copyright and agreed with Mr. Egbert Grannon to print 5,000 copies for the sum of $3,000. In order to get a copyright in... uh, in the the 1830s, there were a couple things that had to happen. Not only did you have to, uh, did you have to, you know, apply for a copyright, right? So you'd you'd send a, a copy of it to the Library of Congress. You also had to publish the title page a couple of times in the newspaper so that you're essentially declaring, this is my book. Don't steal it. Now, of course, People are then going to steal it, but but it, <laughs> but at least they 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 had laws on copyright. that had very poor enforcement of copyright law. It's very it's it's uh it's kind of like uh, speeding in Montana, right? There are laws on speeding, very poor enforcement of it, or at least it used to be. Um, and here Joseph's going to explain because he just he he just referenced securing the copyright. Well. To us, when we read Joseph Smith history, we don't, we don't think, well, securing the copyright, what does that have to do with the title page? But in Joseph's mind, it's kind of cool you can see this as they're drafting this history. As Joseph's talking about publishing the Book of Mormon and securing the copyright, the next thing he he jumps to is, let me talk to you about the title page. Why? Because in his mind, what's connected is the publication of the title page was essential to get a copyright. So you can actually see the the mind working there. He's talking about, oh, we got a copyright. Speaking of copyright, let me tell you what. Let me tell you where the title page of the Book of Mormon came from. That title page is going to be published uh, in the Wayne Sentinel in June of 1829. The Wayne Sentinel is Egbert Grandin's newspaper. Now, when Grandin publishes uh, the copyright, it's not a hey, this is amazing, I can't wait to read it uh, publication. It's in the uh, June 26 Wayne Sentinel, June 26, 1829. He publishes, Grandin publishes the title page of, of the Book of Mormon. The commentary that uh, goes along with it is not something that they usually share with you when you go to the Grandin print shop. Uh, The reality is we tend, as Latter-day Saints, to kind of hold Egbert Grandin on a pedestal because this guy published the Book of Mormon.
0: So what's about to happen here is that people all over the world, from Albania to northern Alaska, are thinking Egbert Grandin, what a mensch, and you're about to say. I don't know
1: that they're using Jewish terms to think (laughs) of him, but yeah. Yeah, uh, they, they, what a they, guy. most of our listeners don't speak Yiddish, although <laughs> Officer R does.
0: <laughs> he does, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so this is what. The, so he publishes the whole the whole title page. I just read the title page, so I'm not going to read it. And with the title page, he provides this commentary. Just about in this particular region, for some time past, much speculation has existed concerning a pretended discovery. Now, I don't know about you. But when you start off talking about the gold plates by saying it's a pretended discovery, what are you then saying?
0: He's saying that um, that he's – how does you sleep at night, Egbert? Well, on huge stacks of $3,000. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: he's, he hasn't – that hasn't happened yet. So they well, he hasn't this is. No, this is, okay. this yes. is oh, yes. months okay. June before the negotiation. Of yeah. Yes. His first commentary is it's a pretended discovery, meaning he's a liar. So – The commentary is, we have someone who lied about finding gold plates. And he goes on, through superhuman means of an ancient record of religious and divine nature and origin written in ancient characters impossible to be interpreted by any to whom the special gift has not been imparted by inspiration. It is generally known and spoken of as the Golden Bible. Most people entertain an idea that the whole matter is the result of a gross imposition and a grosser superstition. It is pretended. Now, again, whenever you say it's pretended, that is not positive, right? So if I were to say, Richard is pretending that he will eventually get a PhD in business. (laughs) I got that from his advisor. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. If I were to say that, it would be a it would be a huge slap, right? Well, he you know he pretends to be a Christian. What does that mean? It means that they're not Christian at all. It's actually for the nineteenth century. It's it's an even greater insult,
0: right? You 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 are saying that you're this. You're not this. So in addition to not being this, you're also a huge hypocrite.
1: You're a liar. You're, yeah. you're a liar, and uh, also claiming that you're something that you're not, right? Um. So. Uh, Most people entertain it as this gross imposition and grosser superstition. So superstition is an interesting terminology as well. In the 19th century, superstition was was a very big pejorative. I mean, look, today you almost never hear the word superstition unless you're talking like, I mean, it almost always, I mean, I hear it most when I'm listening to like baseball. Uh, watching baseball games, Don't yeah. Not them. washing your
0: socks, and yeah,
1: like yeah, yeah. I'm got to Oh, he wears the same jersey every other day. I I think we actually had a Geico commercial, or something with, uh, or no, a, a State Farm commercial with uh, Patrick Mahomes' jersey never being washed, you know, because he's superstitious, right? Um, so we use superstition today almost as like a like a lark. I mean, it's like a, oh, I'm superstitious. I want to make sure I always, you know, sit in the same spot when the jazz play, you know, I don't know why it would make any difference, uh, but, but you, you, we use it as kind of a, it's a lighthearted thing. You don't take it seriously at all, right? Superstition has a much more pejorative terminology in the 19th century, in part because it was the way that Protestants described what the Catholics were doing when it came to Catholic mass. Now what Catholicism was a it was a religion of miracles, right? You've got the Virgin Mary appearing, you've got all these saints. How do you even become a saint? Well, you perform miracles. Many of the Protestant reformers came to argue that a lot of those things, you know, them claiming that St. James has appeared to someone in a cathedral, was all just part of this superstition designed to keep people from from realizing how corrupt the Catholic Church actually was. Now look, I'm not I'm not saying I believe this. I'm not I'm not trying to be overtly anti-Catholic, but you know who is trying to be overtly anti-Catholic? All of the people that are in the reformation in the 19th century. They are not even trying to hide their anti-Catholicism and so much of the way that catholic terminology was was represented in the 19th century was you, the use of the term superstition so so
0: here this is happening in june of uh, 1829 you have um the kind of the back and forth where they might be going to, to Rochester to print this back. When when does Grandin decide? Do we have an idea of exactly oh, when he does? Oh, yes. Oh, you're getting there.
1: Well, I mean, maybe next episode. Oh, I see. No, I'm just kidding. Let's go to... <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that not only are our listeners guessing, we did have someone uh, send in a meme uh, that we talked about about the tangents that I go on. They were incredible memes. They were great. And also, a pretty heavy shot at my inability to talk about what we're going to talk about. These
0: will all go on the fan page that we may or may not eventually get to. And when we
1: say may, we mean we won't. (laughs) And when we say may not, we mean that. Let me give you the definitions of superstition. So again, we think of superstition as, I better not cross paths with a black cat, right? I mean, that's what you think. Or again, I played sports in high school poorly, but I did, right? Um, And so people would have superstitions. I had one. I had to chew a certain type of gum when I played basketball. Every game I had a piece, I took it out. I always smelled it first. Oh. Big League Chew what did you no, use? No, 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 no. I wasn't I wasn't chewing tobacco. No, just oh, ex- Extra, Extra, oh. but it had to be the blue Extra. Oh, okay. Blue Extra.
0: Well, you want your breath to smell good when you're well. Yeah, as I around as, as I
1: slap that ball out of bounds away from someone trying to shoot, I want them to. You know what? He's got good hygiene, and also he hit me in the head. Um, so we think of superstition as this kind of thing, like that. I mean, oh, I'm really superstitious. That you know, the bride shouldn't see the the groom on the same day of the wedding. That kind of stuff. Here's the actual definition of superstition from 1828 Webster's Dictionary from the time period that these are being used. So this is important because as you read 19th century things and they use that word, know that what they are referencing is something very different than what you think they're referencing. Here's the first definition, the primary definition. Superstition excessive exactness or rigor in religious opinions or practice, extreme and unnecessary scruples in the observance of religious rites not commanded or of points of minor importance, excess or extravagance in religion, the doing of things not required by God or abstaining from things not forbidden, or the belief of what is absurd or belief without evidence. Think about that for a minute. Belief without evidence. Related to religion. We talk about the decline of Protestant Christianity. The way they are defining being too religious is believing without evidence. Yeah, kind of, you know, it's the things hoped for, not seen. Anyway, um, <laughs> here's the second definition false religion or false worship. Third definition the right or practice proceeding from the excess of scruples in religion. In this sense, it admits of a plural. There's uh, then uh, another one, belief in the direct agency of superior powers in certain extraordinary or singular events or in omens or prognostics. So the very last definition is basically the definition that we think of it as today, right? That, that there's some other power that's, you know, I have to wear my my Detroit Lions sweatshirt or they're not going to win their playoff game, right? right? That First of all, if that were the case... <laughs> No one should have that superstition until literally this year. I mean, at this point, there, there's no one who could possibly believe if they wear a Lions sweatshirt, they're going to win a playoff game. What is Grandin saying here? He's saying that it is a superstition. It's a grosser superstition. It, it's religious excess. It is false religion. It is made up. It is without evidence. That's what he's saying. It is pretended that it will be published as soon as the translation is completed. Now, think about this. Here's how you know that Grandin hasn't yet decided to publish the book. It's a pretty weird thing to publish in your own newspaper. It's pretended that they're going to be able to get this published when you're the one who's already agreed to publish it. He goes on, Meanwhile, we have been furnished with the following, which is represented to us as intended for the title page of the work we give it as a curiosity. Now notice that's the la- I mean he's already said this is pretended, this is pretended, this is superstition, this is imposition. He's making it very clear he doesn't believe any of this. And then he ends it with that. We give it as a curiosity. That's essentially his way of saying I'm publishing this because people are interested in this weird crazy made-up religious stuff, not because we believe it. We don't believe it at all. I'm mocking it. I'm making fun of it, but you know, we give it as a curiosity. Now maybe the fact that he came out so hard against the idea of the book being published, maybe that is part of the reason why he hesitated to, to publish the uh, the Book of Mormon. We know that they talked to Grandin in the summer, sometime in the summer. They talk to him and try to get him to publish the, the Book of Mormon. He says no. Again, I'm sure somewhere in his mind is, uh, I already told everyone that it's made up and that it's pretended that it's going to be published. But then um, they they go to the other printer in town who also says he can't do it. Joseph and, and Martin eventually go to Rochester where they do find, eventually, after several, they find a willing publisher And they come back down to Grandin and say, look, this is going to get published regardless. We're going to publish it in Rochester if we have to. And at that point, Grandin finally relents and agrees to publish it. The agreement to publish it, we know, happens sometime before uh, August 11th, um, because that's when another newspaper is going to attack that agreement to publish it. But it still requires Martin Harris to actually come up with the money, as something we've talked about before on this podcast, that he has to actually literally put his money where his mouth is and put up the amount of the enormous amount of money to pay for the Book of Mormon. So when Joseph in his history is talking about getting the book printed, when he talks about getting that copyright, one of the first things that he, that comes to his mind is you need to understand where that title page that I had to publish for the copyright comes from. I wish to mention here that the title page of the Book of Mormon is a literal translation taken from the very last leaf on the left hand side of the collection or book of plates, which contained the record which has been translated the language of the whole running the same as all Hebrew writing in general. And that, said title page, is not by any means a modern composition, either of mine or of any other man's who has lived or does live in this generation. Therefore, in order to correct an error which generally exists concerning it, I give below that part of the title page of the English version of the Book of Mormon, which is a genuine and literal translation of the title page of the original Book of Mormon as recorded on the plates. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so he he explains, in fact, where it was, that it was on the very last leaf on the left-hand side of the collection of, of the plates. So that the title page declaring what the book is—that it is another testament of Christ—is not just, it's not just something that uh, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints came up with in the 21st century. That it's another testament of Jesus Christ is something that the the title page itself declares to everyone who is is going to read it that. Um, that Jesus is the Christ, the Eternal God manifesting Himself into all nations. So this is what Moroni thought. The what the title page of the purpose of the book was not just not just what what Joseph thinks that it is. Now we wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the other front matter issues. I know there's nothing more scintillating in all literature than to talk about front matter. Uh everyone's like, oh did you read the did you read the preface? Oh yes we read the preface. Uh I mean the reality is until I became a historian, I never read the introduction to literally anything. Did you? I still don't. So so even after getting your PhD. Well I don't
0: have it yet. As soon as I do. So the moment the you- Draft, the draft or the dissertation proposal draft three will be submitted tomorrow. Uh, and so I'm excited. The feedback on that, I, I think I'm one draft away from defending the proposal.
1: The proposal, but not your dissertation. Oh my gosh,
0: no, 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 no. Not even close to the.
1: Yeah. So the, the Wilson brothers can rest easy. You're not about <laughs> to join their ranks.
0: No, 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 no. I'm not coming for them. No, okay, no. but soon. Soon. Oh, so soon.
1: 10 years from now.
0: I'm thinking December of this year. I, wow. Defend the proposal. Talk about
1: superstition.
0: <laughs> I haven't washed my socks in three months.
1: No, I mean the, the false without evidence <laughs> prognostication of religion.
0: Also that, yes.
1: Well, so uh, what we're going to talk about in our next episode is, again, we got some more email to answer, but we're going to talk about the three and the eight witness statements. Now, as a little bit of a teaser – Those statements were not in the front of the original Book of Mormon. They were actually in the back of the book. So in the original Book of Mormon, you read the preface where Joseph said, hey, someone stole a bunch of these pages from me and is going to try to malign this work. You then read the copyright information that it was copyrighted. And then you read the title page that was the literal translated title page from the gold plates themselves explaining what the book was. There wasn't any further introduction. There wasn't, let me tell you all about this book, let me tell you how it was translated. You had Joseph's preface saying, someone stole 116 pages from me, and their purpose was to try to destroy this work. And then you you read the title page. You read this commentary that this is a, a book designed... Um, to convince the Jew and the Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. And then you went, you, you went right into First Nephi. At the end of the book, when you finished it, you just finished reading Moroni's promise, then the statements of the three and the eight witnesses were there at the end. And so we're going to examine those statements on our next episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth
0: podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.